0: Thank you.
1: What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 116, presented by the Bar Room Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I am super excited for the 2023 NHL Draft. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller. And unlike me, his favorite team has a pick in the first round. In fact, they have two. They might get three. We will see what happens. Frank, how you doing? Doing great. Got a little bit of a lighting issue today, but nothing I could do about it. Listen, you look great. I appreciate that. You need one of these $1 lights from the dollar store, but we'll get into all that in just a little bit. Um, Joining us now as a very special guest of the program is somebody who I became a very big fan of on Twitter a couple weeks ago. One of my biggest regrets in life is not becoming a fan sooner because I enjoy his content and the way he looks at drafting and developing and, you know, certain numbers that support different ways to look at hockey and all sorts of things. Of course, I am talking about the creator of Hockey Prospecting, NHL draft consultant, Byron Bader. Byron, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Very, very good. Thank you for joining our program. No problem. So, to get things started, I want to know, how did all this come about? How did uh, hockey prospecting and all that, where did it come from in your brain, and how did you bring it to the table? Uh, Yeah, so,
0: I mean, I've, I've always kind of been like an analytical guy. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always loved stats and stuff, and I work in that field, you know kind of nine to five anyways, you know, doing analytics and, you know, the, the, the private sector. Um, and yeah, so I've always been into, you know, hockey stats and that type of thing. And basically it started, I was, I was, I was writing for Flames Nation, which is like a, you know, analytics kind of uh, centered blog about the Calgary Flames. So I was just writing different stuff about them and looking into different stuff about the team And there was this thing called an NHL equivalency, which essentially is, you know, there's these 50 different leagues that players can theoretically come from, and when you relate it back to their scoring, related to their NHL scoring, each league is different. So like a point, you know, in the OHL is different from what a point is worth in college, and that's different from like the, the Pro Euro League. So it kind of started there, and it was this really interesting concept that existed for a few years, and... You know, you're looking at players and, and how they performed in their, in their year before they made the NHL and then how they performed in the NHL. And you kind of take this average and the score pops up. And so it kind of started there. And it basically started, you know, I was looking at Johnny Gaudreau when he was coming up. Um, and he just had this really sky-high equivalency. And I was wondering, is that what a future star or superstar looks like? Do they tend to have these really high equivalencies? And basically, that was kind of my hunch, but I couldn't really find anything sort of proving the fact. So I just started digging through, you know, Hall of Famers. And then I started digging through first rounders. And it was kind of proven out that the younger that you sort of hit these big milestones or these big thresholds, the more likely you are to turn into a star. So then, you know, I started off with, First rounders from the last 10 years, and then I went back 20 years, and then I wanted to just see the whole population, so I just basically started getting all the data slowly and then you know scraping some of it and that type of thing until I had basically 30 years of history that you can look at it. And you know, these very distinct patterns and archetypes come out of what a star tends to look like. I mean, there's always outliers that kind of come out of nowhere that you would think this guy's never going to be a star, and then he turns into one, but a lot of them sort of follow this pattern, so then I Yeah, I built this out and, you know, started tweeting about it and started, you know, um, yeah, working with with some teams um, around draft time. And then, you know, I built out this website and and created these tools for for the public to, to access. So it started probably, yeah, about six years ago now and then just kind of evolved into this thing that people are people are pretty interested in. So.
2: You know, I love dissecting stats, trends for players. I think it's fascinating. Um, But what are some of your favorite stats or trends that you're able to pull from hockey prospecting that you really love to use to analyze some of the top prospects in the NHL? Because I know you guys go deep and dive in all the different stats and trends.
0: I mean, for mine personally, like I, I basically use that you know, that equivalency metric, um, you know, looking at all these different leagues, because then you can put all these, you know, these hundreds of players that are coming up every draft, and you're saying this guy's producing at this level in high school, and this guy's doing, you know, he's not producing very much in, you know, the uh, top tier Euro league, and then this guy's doing this in the OHL, like, what's good and what's bad. So this basically takes, you know, those 300, 400 players that Teams are legitimately looking at every year and puts them all in the same level playing field. So you can see them all in the same place. And then it adds in, you know, age adjusters and that type of thing to see, okay, these guys are, you know, equal on this playing field in terms of their equivalency, but this guy is six months younger than this guy. And that can make a huge difference. So, I mean, that's really how I look at, it. that's how my, my data sort of works. And there's all sorts of tools around it. You know, you can be- look back in history and you can see, you know, which teams have had the most success at drafting, you know, the way the site works is it's, it's predicting whether the player is going to be a star. So that's like an offensive star an elite point producer call it. And then whether or not they're going to make the NHL. So you can look back and see all these teams and what their success rates were and and what they were drafting, what type of players they're drafting. So that's how my stuff works. And then I love, you know, looking at other people's tools, like, you know, um, the people at elite, um, lead prospects are always really good and um, they have different stuff to look at and and they're different tracking and stuff just to kind of look to see, you know, if I have a guy that's looks really good in the model, but then in these other trackings, he looks pretty pedestrian or mediocre. That's stuff to consider just like when I'm doing rankings and stuff. But yeah, my tool is basically based on this idea of, of the equivalency and putting everybody on the same level playing field. So you can see all these players all at once and you can compare them back to history and compare you know, over the last 30 years, like players coming up in the draft who looked like these guys and what was like the overall success rate and all that stuff. So that's kind of how my site works and, and basically how it, how it
1: looks at players. That, that's really cool. And one of the things that intrigued me when I first came across the data is you went through one of the tweets I liked was you went through like the last 30 Stanley Cup champions or whatever, and you described how many of those teams had a, and you had the runner ups as well. And How many of those teams had a true star? And then how many players on that particular team in that particular year had, quote unquote, star seasons? What's the difference between the two? What makes you a star? What makes you have a star season?
0: Yeah, so the stars are these players I'm talking about. So it's essentially, uh, you know, outlier, you know, top 10 percent point producer over their whole career. So they have to play at least 200 games and essentially for a forward, it's like basically like 60 points in 82 games, like every year, you know, they, they consistently hit it. And then for a defenseman, it's roughly like 40, 45 points a year plus. Um, so what that's looking at is um, for runner ups and the cup winners, it's looking at how many true stars that they have on th- their team. So like legitimate career stars, like they're a star you know, almost every season, season in and season out. Whereas the star seasons, you always have these guys that have like their career year. It often happens when they go to the, the cup final, you have like a lot of these guys. So, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive groups because the guys having the the true stars most likely are having the star seasons as well. They might have a drop-off year, but most of the time they're going to be in that list as well. And then you have these extra guys that are having like their they're hitting the qualifications of a star season, but they're not actually stars themselves. They're like an average producer that's just, you know, generating a crazy amount of points in that particular year. Like you look at like a guy like Tyler Toffoli this year for the flames, he's not a legitimate star by my model. He's kind of on the fringe or kind of close, but this year he had, you know, almost like a, like a superstar season. He just had his craziest year of all. So that's basically the difference between it. And when you look back at cup winners, and the runner-ups they tend to have a ton of stars on their team i mean it's kind of obvious but star power gets you to the cup final and star power gets you cups you know you have these these teams that are kind of these like one-off examples where they they don't really have any star power at all but then they make it to the cup final on these miracle runs but then they never actually end up winning it it's always you know it tends to be the teams that have the stars that win it in the long run so that's yeah that's kind of what that analysis was about
2: yeah, Vin, I'm glad you brought it up because I saw that too, and I was gonna ask him about it. But so, if you're a true star, could you not be a true star like next season, or do you kind of earn that rank, or how does like how does that? Yeah, earn? exactly.
0: So it's kind of yeah, you could fall out of it, right? Because you could, you know, I'm looking at have they basically played 200 games, and do they have this sort of, you know, point per game metric over that whole career? So they could kind of just barely qualify and then fall out of it next year. Interesting. So that's kind of the moving part of the model. Like a good example is Carter Verhege for Florida. He just barely counts. Like he's actually a true star. He just made it this year. I think he's at maybe 220 games or something, and he just barely counts. But if he has an off year last, next year, he's going to kind of fall out of that. But most of the time they're, you know, a little bit over that. And I have another sort of – yeah, another part of the that analysis was you could be a true star like – you know, when you retire, you're going to be considered a star in the model, like a guy like Joe Thornton. He's a superstar, basically his whole life. But when he went off to like Toronto and Florida, he wasn't a star anymore. So he's not counting anymore, because he's just like a 40 year old putting up 20 points playing on the fourth line. So there's stuff like that, that I'm kind of um, adjusting for in that analysis. But
1: I like your thing with Joe Thornton there kind of on the back end of his career. Now I'm curious about, I was literally just about to ask about someone who's kind of on the opposite spectrum, like the front end of their career. Of course, Jack Hughes. He had a breakout season this year, 99 points. Last year we saw flashes of it, but there were injuries that took him out for large chunks of the season at a time, but he still ended with roughly 60 points and he was over point per game on the season and 25 goals, all that is he somebody who is now considered a star or is he still a year away from needing a 60 point season or so to, you know, reach that We God, he better get 60 points next season, but you know what I mean? Like, is he already there or does he have a little bit to go a guy like that?
0: No, he's already crossed over and he's like really interesting when you look at him in the model, because he actually looks in the model very similar to a guy like Connor Bedard. He has kind of this generational profile about him, you know, looking at, Before he ever played an NHL game, looking at his pre-draft production and then his draft year production, guys that look like that, there's only probably about 15 of them. And every single one of them that's ever looked like that has been basically like a point per game or just shy of a point per game superstar. So Jack Hughes is in that variety. So he's actually one of these only ones where he didn't hit the NHL and then immediately become like basically a superstar, you know, like Crosby and McDavid and. Uh, Eichel and even guys like Paul Correa that have that same look you know they basically hit the NHL and they're amazing right away so he didn't so he kind of made me a bit nervous because in the model he looks like a for sure superstar and then sure enough you get to like his his third season he takes off like a rocket and yeah he's, he's definitely already there he's already a star and now there's another sort of extra threshold i put in there just to pick up on these these superstar guys which are basically like these point-per-game guys so now he's you know heading towards that path
2: that's awesome i, I that, see that stuff to me is so fascinating um something else that i've noticed on your twitter is you like to compare prospects um with each other but is there any underrated draft prospects that teams should be on the lookout later in the first round i know me and vinny talk a lot about gavin brinley Going middle to late of the first round but is there anybody else that you know teams should really keep their eyes peeled for
0: uh yeah there's a few guys that i think will certainly drop past like you know the midway point of the first round so like andrew cristal um he's a guy of the whl smaller guy insane production uh he's not a great skater especially for a small guy so that's kind of the knock on him but like when you look at guys that profile like that and have that type of standardized, normalized score in their pre-draft year and then their draft year, like 90% of them make the NHL and half of them turn into stars. And, you know, the other ones that make the NHL, maybe if they're not a star, they're like de- definitely like a, a middle six rotation guy. So he could drop into like the twenties or something. He's a really good one. And then another one is uh, Russian defenseman, Mikhail Gulyayev. He's uh, he plays in like the, the Russian junior league, the MHL, and he looks amazing. Like his profile in the model is very, very rare, and he looks really elite. And, you know, he's he's small, he's five ten, so that's gonna be a knock. He's Russian, that's gonna be another knock, but like he skates incredible. Like he skates, you know, like like Lane Hudson and like Owen Zellwigger, who are these two other smaller defensemen that dropped out of the first round the last two years. So he could be the next one. And I really like him.
1: Very interesting. You bring up a Russian player. I was going to ask, is every team not named the Chicago Blackhawks going to one day regret not drafting Matt Vay-Michkov? Or I can even extend it to the Anaheim Ducks. I know people debate Fantilli versus Mitchkov, but there might be some teams that take a Will Smith or a Benson or someone like that over Michkov due to the fear of him not coming over for a while. What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be some teams that regret it. Could he, you know... It sound, it, now it sounds like everybody's a generational talent, but he also looks exactly like Bedard and Jack Hughes and Connor McDavid. He has that same profile. So again, 100% of these guys have hit the NHL and have become point-per-game superstars in the NHL. So that's what you're looking at in Mishkov. So yeah, he's probably going to fall a little bit. The, the other part is this is such a deep draft that, you know, if you're drafting in the top five and you don't take him, you're probably not going to get hosed and take like a guy that's not going to make the NHL or you're going to get like a pretty mediocre or average player. Like even Benson, Will Smith, you know, Leo Carlson, like these are probably going to be like really, really good players. They profile well in the model. They look good. You know, they're probably going to end up pretty good, but you know, you could be walking away from Ovechkin, Malkin, Kaprizov type production and it's going to take a bit before he comes over, like probably, you know, at least that kind of three years. But you could be missing out on that and then in, in you know, 10 years really be, be kicking yourself for sure.
2: Yeah, at Hockey Prospecting, you guys got him rated at three. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think he falls out of the top 10? Because that's what I'm kind of leaning towards. I don't think he's going to go third to the Blue Jackets, but I want your opinion on that. Does he go third or fall out of the top 10?
0: I don't think he'll fall out of the top 10. I could see him potentially falling out of the top five. Just, yeah, maybe because the team's nervous about the the Russian thing. And then is he going to come over? But, you know, he probably probably will. But, you know, there's a bit of a risk there. But, I mean, it it's – you know, you don't get normally a prospect that makes the NHL and has an impact before they're kind of three years removed from the draft anyway. So, yeah, I could see him falling to – Maybe, you know, I've heard a lot about Washington is sort of, you know, if he falls out of the top five, like Washington's for sure going to take him type thing. So I don't I don't think he'll make it past that. But, you know, who knows? It is like it is such a deep draft and there's so many picks on the table that you maybe take, you know, a lesser but safer, you know, North American option or something like that, right? So I figure he'll probably go in kind of the four to – seven or four to eight hole would be my guess
1: my prediction since the draft lottery and we knew the order has been philly because i like they're at the beginning of a rebuild like they're not even really at the beginning yet they're like in the negative years of the rebuild they still got pieces to move like carter Hart. you know we'll see if they keep connecting or guys like that uh kevin Hayes, all sorts of players that they can move off of they're going to be in the max celebrini sweepstakes in my opinion which is why somebody like you know Mitchkov could be a perfect fit for them if he all of a sudden shows up in three years like wow the Flyers are really looking good do you have early thoughts on Max Celebrini as he gets ready to enter his draft year or are there any other prospects that you think could challenge him based on this at this point in time or are we just not there yet
0: no I don't think so I think he's gonna be the first overall pick he looks insane already like I don't you
1: know, I I kind of,
0: I'm aware of the guys coming up in the next draft, but I don't look at their numbers too closely because most people don't look that incredible in their pre-draft year. So, you know, once I start looking at them for the 2024 class, like, you know, around November, December, when I start kind of getting my first list, then I start to bring in their numbers and then I can kind of see, but him, you know, everybody's been talking about him, everybody's watching him. And I, so I've looked him up and looks like that, again, generational variety, like early out of the gates or at least close to. So I don't think anybody's going to beat him out.
2: Switching topics from forwards to defense. I mean, defensemen are normally hot commodities relatively early in the first round of any NHL draft. Uh, But, you know, defense plays a huge part in the NHL and you need good defenders if you're looking to build a Stanley Cup winning team. It appears that there might not be a top defenseman in this year's draft going in the top 10 Will this be the year that a D-man doesn't go in the top 10?
0: Yeah, I kind of tweeted about that. Like I was kind of looking through the drafts and I couldn't find any in basically the last 30 or so years where that happened. And then I tweeted about it. And then somebody mentioned that 1983, the, the Steve Eiserman draft, um, that's when it last happened. So, you know, based on that, probably somebody goes in the top 10, a D-man will go, but like, who's it going to be? I mean, the forward class here is just so much richer than the the D class. And you kind of know what you're getting into that. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, which team thinks, Oh, I'm going to pass on this, you know, forward offensive stud. And I'm going to take this maybe a little bit of the gamble and take this, this D man a bit earlier. You know, it could be somebody like Rhinebacker is probably most likely I would say, um, Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. This might be the year that somebody that it finally happens that it's, you know, 10 straight forwards out of the gate type thing. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know who's going to take that risk, I guess.
1: For sure. I'm curious on your thoughts on, last year's draft. So the 2022 NHL draft kind of didn't go the way anybody thought it was going to Shane, Wright Ended up falling to the fourth overall pick. He only played what? Seven games this season with the Seattle Kraken spent most of the year kind of flipping back and forth between the AHL, his junior team, world juniors, you know, he, he played all over the place. Um, and Slavkovsky didn't have that great of a season with the Montreal Canadians. We saw Luke Hughes and Nimich or not Luke Hughes, just Nimich in the devil system. Um, What's your take on this 2022 draft a year later?
0: Yeah, I think when you look back at it, like especially like, you know, 10 years removed when you can kind of say for sure what the player is and who made the NHL and who didn't and stuff, it's going to look very strange. I mean, I've talked about it quite a bit on Twitter, but like Slavkovsky specifically, like the way he looks is not at all like a guy who normally goes first overall he looks like a guy, you know, he's got the size and he can kind of work the corners and he's massive. And he, you know, he's, he's got some offense to him, but it doesn't really show up in terms of his production. So a guy like that is normally a guy that goes, you know, maybe at the back end of the top 10 into the teens. And he goes first overall. He was actually like the lowest value first overall forward. I think the model has ever seen. So since 1990, like he just didn't have that look. And then sure enough, He came in this year, and like you said, it was, you know, nothing nothing earth-shattering. Made the NHL right away, but, you know, there was nothing, you know, from the production side, there was nothing crazy there. Yeah, and then, you know, you have Shane Wright, who's kind of talked about, you know, a couple years before the draft as sort of maybe a potential, you know, elite or generational piece himself because he got that, you know, exempt status and he was in the OHL. And he did really well with it. Um, But then he missed his entire draft year. And you're kind of, uh, or his pre-draft year, I guess. And then you're kind of taking a gamble with him. So, yeah. So, I still think he's going to be really good. Like, I think he probably should have gone one or two. And then the Nemich one was really surprising because I was all over Nemich. Like, he has this very, very elite profile. Like, it basically looks like you know, the superstar generational profile for a D-man. And so I was talking about him early in the year and I figured he'd maybe go fourth or fifth, that type of thing. And then the devils come right up and take him at two, you know, ahead of Shane Wright and Cooley. And it was like, wow, like they, they really see something promising in him. So, yeah, I think when you look back at the draft, it's going to be pretty wonky, especially in like the top five, like it's just going to look really weird. And, and, you know, how the players work out and stuff. Like it's, there's going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe we, you know, I can't believe we didn't take that first overall. I think that could happen, especially with Nemitz and Cooley, because I think they're kind of most likely to pop. And then Wright as well. Uh, He looks a bit odd in the model, but, you know, part of it is he missed his pre-draft year, which which set him back a little bit. So, yeah, I I think it's going to look weird for sure.
2: You know, I think there's a couple teams going into next season that are going to maybe surprise us. But is there anybody that you think is going to really struggle, mostly due to the fact that they don't have the right prospects in their farm system yet, or just, you know, they're not, they're not being built the right way going into the next season or, you know, seasons beyond? Is there anybody that sticks out to you that, you know, maybe falter a little bit?
0: Um. I think the Penguins and the Bruins could drop back a bit or quite a bit because they've, you know, they've been making these kind of playoff runs on these, these cores that are, you know, 15 years old for years and years and years. And I mean, Bruins had like the best regular season ever last year. And then of course they're out in the first round, but they've been riding these, you know, these cores forever. And now a lot of these guys are in their mid thirties. So they're going to start to fall off. And like, in terms of their prospects, they have like almost nothing. Both of them have very little in terms of guys that will even make the NHL, let alone guys that should come in and have like a pretty massive offensive impact. So I could see them falling off quite a bit. Fair. Fair. I could see, I could see Florida falling back too. I mean, they barely made the playoffs this year, but like their décor just—it just doesn't scream deep enough to me that I could kind of see them kind of being the surprise team that falls off and maybe doesn't even make the playoffs again next year. Those would be three that kind of come to my head. Um, yeah,
1: for sure. I, I like those answers, and you know, I want to ask one more question, kind of in the opposite way. And with my personal bias showing the Devils had a top five season of in the regular season points wise. And a lot of metrics support the fact that they were just very good. They created on the rush. They used their speed. They liked to take advantage of your mistakes. They liked to pump shots on goal at times. And they also have a top five farm system, according to lots of different, you know, publications out there. I'm not sure exactly where they fall on your model, but they were I yeah, think the Athletic five. had them at two. The Athletic had them at two. You know, and obviously I, I have them you know, at
0: two or three somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and, you know, with Nemich and Luke Hughes leading the way, they have Alexander Holtz, a bunch of other good players. Um, do you think they can win a cup in the next five years? Oh, I know yeah. that's like crazy to predict. Like, oh yeah, this team could win the cup. But like, like very few top five teams have a top five farm system. Like the wild were the closest and they weren't a top five team. They were a top 10 team, but they had a top five farm system. So like, I, I don't yep. know.
0: I I think so. I mean, I've been I've been all about the, you know, the Devil's fan train for the last couple of years because they've just been kind of you know they went through like the hard rebuild where they had nothing and then they had no stars. And then all now all of a sudden they've got uh, I think five. So they have Hamilton, Hughes, Hishier, uh, Meyer, and Bratt. So they've got that like. Once you have, like, five stars, that's where you're, like, you turn yourself into a contender. That's what that earlier research is kind of showing with the Stanley Cup contenders. But then also just looking at teams that make the playoffs and make it deep in the playoffs. Five stars is, like, the golden grail. They already have that. And then they have two of the best, you know, offensive, defensive prospects in the world that haven't even really played yet. And, you know, they have some other good pieces in there, like, you know, I was reading some stuff today that that Hellebuck wants to go there. Like, if they get that and they get that like star level goalie that can save games, but then doesn't even need to most of the time anymore. Like he like he had to a lot of the times in Winnipeg. I I think they're gonna do some damage over the next five years for sure. Maybe they won't win a cup, but I think they'll be like in that conversation.
1: Is it possible to have seven stars? Like, if Nemic and Hughes reach that threshold, or does Dougie Hamilton have to fall out? Like. No,
0: it's, so it's possible, but I kind of talked about this on Twitter as well. It's like the ecosystem and the salary cap doesn't allow for a team to hold seven stars for multiple seasons because you just have to owe so much money that you're going to have to trade somebody. Or, you know, the ice time just doesn't come around enough that maybe like somebody kind of on the fringe, like a brat or a hisseer, falls out you know, Hamilton's so far above it that he probably stays in the mix, but yeah, I would say like sustaining seven or more stars for more than like two seasons is probably almost impossible uh, just because it comes down to money and ice time and all that type of stuff. But five to six, you you can run that ship for, for a pretty long time, depending on how you have your contracts structured and, and where, where the guys are in terms of, yeah, their age and, and, you know, if they're on their first contract or their second contract, third contract, that type of stuff. But yeah, the fact that you have two other pieces that are going on their ELCs that have some of the highest star probabilities for defensemen out of anybody who basically hasn't played any NHL game. Like that's just incredible. So that's awesome. I'm high on the devils doing some damage over the next five years.
2: Cool. Um, yeah, just one last question I want to ask you. Just Vinny had his little bias, and I, you know, we could talk about Bedard till the cows go to sleep or whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> what did you think of the Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup championship run? Because I'm they're they're my second team. I love the Vegas Golden Knights. I, I want to get your opinion because I saw you tweeting about that as well when they were playing.
0: Yeah, I mean they like compared to when they made their run in 2018. Is that 2018? Yeah. 2018, yeah. they are sort of these miracle teams I talk about. Like, there's a couple of them. There's there's Vegas in 2018. There's Montreal in 2021. And then there's, like, the Calgary Flames in 04. And then Florida Panthers in 1996. These are these miracle teams that, like, didn't have any stars on them. Or they had, like, one or two. And they make this run all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then they end up losing in the Stanley Cup Finals. So... Now Vegas is sort of more mature, and they've made all these trades. They've acquired, you know, through free agency or through trade. They've acquired Stone and Petrangelo um, and Eichel, obviously. But then also these guys that were having star seasons in twenty eighteen, they've legitimately now a lot of them, or a few of them, have turned into stars. So you have like So, and you have Shea Theodore, and. They have one more star. I can't think of what his name is. Is it Mark? You said you said who? So you have Eichel, Petrangelo, Stone. I think they maybe they have five. Yeah, they have five. So anyway, so you have these these couple guys that aren't just having star seasons anymore. Like they've they've turned that into star seasons year in and year out. Now they're legitimate stars. So now when they made the Cup final this time, they have. I think five stars and then I think they had six or seven players with these star seasons, like exactly what a Stanley cup winning team normally looks like. So yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it was a bit surprising that they kind of got through like that, but then when you break it down, like they're just kind of loaded everywhere. They're, they're really deep and they, they play like a really aggressive style that, you know, that's, that's, that's what a winner looks like. That's what a cup winner looks like. So yeah, pretty cool story for them to kind of do all that over the span of five, six years and, you know, turn into a legitimate contender and then, and then actually win it. Like, you know, you have all these teams that are always kind of doing these safe things and, Oh, I can't get involved with that trade because, you know, that could cause this damage further on down the road. And so they make like more of like a safer, you know, B or C level trade. Whereas Vegas every year is in there going for those A plus trades and, Demolishing their prospect system, but like you know, it worked. Like our other team's going to try that, and our other good team's going to go for it, like they did, because it worked perfectly for them. And now you know they've got their cup so soon after starting. So yeah, it's a pretty cool story.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they were going to get. They were in the Timo Meyer sweepstakes, and then the Devils got them. And I was like, okay. The devil's got him. Vegas can still win the cup without him. They don't need him. Let me get Meyer. Vegas, you take everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how they're in on everything,
0: but they are. Like, <laughs> it's just maddening. I don't know how. Like Even when the Eichel thing was popping up, I was like, there's no way that they have the pieces to get Eichel. Of course, as a Calgary Flames guy, I was like, we have the pieces. We could do it. And then they sneak in there, and it's like, all right. They did it again.
1: You know what, though? No. I respect Calgary. Frank and I have talked a lot about Calgary on this show. Um, they were they had to get rid of Matthew Kachuk. He was leaving for nothing if they didn't. And instead of saying, you know what, we're gonna rebuild, um, we're gonna tear it all down and go for Bedard and go for Fantilli, Celebrini, whatever, they got Huberto in the trade and they, you know, they got Uyghur as well. It didn't work out the best in year one, but I respect almost like not giving up and you know, going for it, even though they kind of were presented with a nasty situation.
0: Yeah, it was that was that was a tough couple of weeks with with Gaudreau and Kachuk. So yeah, it was pretty impressive what what they were able to get for Kachuk. From the other side, I'm disappointed that they didn't sign Kachuk for eight years four years ago, and they didn't re-up Gaudreau in the summer of 2021. But you know that's how she goes. But yeah, I mean Huberdeau and, and Weger are really good players, and I think they're going to bounce back a little bit. They still, you know, when when you look at the cup. The cup breaks down,s and and the you know the star, the star firepower that you need on a, a cup winner. The Flames still don't have it, but they have some pieces that may evolve into that. So, you know, I remain optimistic, but I probably shouldn't be.
1: Absolutely, I remember Gujo didn't have the Flames logo on his helmet in the World Cup of Hockey. Like it's always been a little fishy with him, but Byron. We can't thank you enough for coming on our show. It has been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. I love getting down and dirty with hockey stats and projections and all that kind of stuff. Why don't you promote yourself and where people can find you in your work?
0: Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm uh, at Byron M. Bader. Um, So I post different stuff about the draft coming up and player cards and, yeah, just talking about the historical significance of everything. Um, And then the website is hockeyprospecting.com a subscription website so it's 35 bucks a year Canadian so American that's about 25 depending on the old exchange rate um, and yeah and you can access all the tools goes back to 1990 so you have like 7,000 players in there to compare and contrast and you can go back look at past drafts and you know or look at you know the past decade or whatever and see which teams have drafted the most stars and most NHLers and who's had the most success rates and that type of stuff so it's all on there all-inclusive for that price, and uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much, Byron. We hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll be looking forward to reading your tweets during the draft.
0: You betcha. Thanks, guys.
1: Absolutely. That's Byron Bader from Hockey Prospecting, and we would like to send you to period number two. I didn't send it to period number one. Oh, I, know. I don't. I don't I don't do that or I've done that often with guests this week. It was by design. I did it on purpose because I wanted to get into it as fast as we could because I knew we only had a limited amount of time with Byron today. And I I know it's like three seconds and it doesn't make that. But like I was just so hyped to get into it. I did do it by design today.
2: The extra four seconds would have broke the bank, huh?
1: I honestly think so. I probably (laughs) wouldn't have got that last question in about the Devils being sick. You hear him say that shit about Hughes? Hughes is just as good as Bedard. You heard it from the man himself. You heard it from the man himself. Yeah, right now. Yeah, well, we'll see. They'll probably be about even, to be honest with you. Like, what's the difference between, you know, Hughes will probably have 110 points and he'll take one penalty on the season and it'll be a faceoff violation or something and he'll lead the devils in takeaways but bedard will have 115 points most of them are more than half he'll be a 50 gold man but like he probably roughs it up just a tad bit more is my like and you know so like what's the difference what would you rather have the answer is both they're both sick i love it i loved that entire conversation that was one of my favorite guests we've ever had and frank Correct me if I'm wrong. I do not say that um, very often on this show. Yeah, you're right. No, he's a good guest. I mean,
2: I like diving into the stats and the analytics of hockey players, and you know, players to come, players of the past. I I think it's fascinating. So it was, it was really nice.
1: Yeah, and now Foster gained a
2: new friend too. He said he's got a new guy to follow. So
1: follow him on Twitter at Byram and Bader. Very, very good follow. You learn a lot about hockey. Like I wrote it low in the period two i was gonna here. ask
2: if you wanted to start it because it just came out
1: yeah we're gonna start with it i didn't know it. i those things usually come out at like five o'clock
2: i knew o'clock. it was coming
1: out at two or two thirty or whatever it was i knew it was coming out at two at one last night when i wrote the sheet i had no clue what time it was coming out so today i plant when i saw it was coming out at two i was like okay we're going to freaking move this to the beginning. And of yeah. course, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Colton in the chat wanted to know where he could watch the um, Hall of Fame announcement. It was on TSN. And I think I don't know if it was broadcast anywhere in the U.S. NHL Network might have carried the TSN broadcast. They do that frequently. But in case you don't know, um, the 2023 Hall of Fame class is Henrik Lundqvist. Tom Barrasso, Pierre Turgeon, Mike Vernon, Caroline Olette, And that are those are all players. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Coach Hen, Ken Hitchcock and Pierre Lacroix, a general manager. They were both entered in as builders. So it's a big class. Frank, what do you take away from this class? You know, I'm not surprised with uh,
2: Henrik Lundqvist. I thought he was an absolute lock when I saw, you know, the eligible nominees for the Hall of Fame this year, I figured he'd get in for sure. Some of the other names I saw, and biasly, of course, I wanted uh, Corey Crawford, but I knew, I had a feeling Corey Crawford wasn't going to make it. Um, Justin Williams was another guy um, who I, like, he was on the fence for me. I mean, he has three Stanley Cups, two World Championships. I mean, he, he had a great career, but is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? No, not really, if you think about it. Not surprised by Lundqvist, like I said, though. A lot of people – I'm reading the the comments of the NHL's post. A lot of people are upset about Patrick Elias, uh, Zetterberg, some of the other names that are scrolling through. Um, It's just – yeah, I mean, I'm not really surprised. Ken Hitchcock, absolutely. Great. I mean, we've seen him, I mean, freaking with the Blues, giving the Hawks headaches for years. I mean – very deserving class, I would have to say. I got to be honest, though. Some of these guys, I don't know who they are. So I'm not going to touch on them. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Henrik Lundqvist was a lock. He is a outstanding goaltender in his career. He's one of the best goalies ever. Um, I'm pissed Patrick Aliash didn't make it again. I mean, I, I fired off some tweets this morning with reasons why Elias should be in the Hall of Fame 408 goals 617 assists 1000 points he was a Selkie type winger which you don't see very often like you think of Mark Stone and Marion Hosa. like Patrick Elias was just like them like there's a reason he was their best forward on two cup winning teams, so a two-time Stanley Cup champion he's the all-time leading scorer of a team that won three Stanley Cups and has been around for 40 years you know I hope Jack Hughes ends with more than 1,025 points and he'll become the greatest um, forward in Devil's history. Shit, even he sure could end up with those types of numbers. But, like, you know, that's a Hockey Hall of Famer. And he's been on the list for a long time now. You know, its and I'm not saying he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. We're, we're, like, in year five of Eliash being on the thing there are players that are far less productive in the hall of fame than him. I just, I really don't get it. There were people pissed off about McGillney, not making it. I thought Kachuk was making it for sure because it just seemed like there was, there's always bias that goes into um, hall of fame voting. Like if Lundquist had his exact same career with the, uh, I don't know the freaking Dallas stars, He probably would be a Hall of Famer eventually, but the way he's revered, a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was the king of New York. I do believe that. Um, It happens in every sport. It's BS. But, you know, and so I thought that kind of narrative would sway in Keith Kachuk's way. He's been in the news a lot in the last year or so. Both of his sons are superstars in the NHL. They're both top ten at their position. Um, So I kind of thought he would get. Um, a little bit of love. I think Corey Crawford is a Hall of Famer. I had no expectations of him getting in this year. Um, I'm not sure he ever will. If I I would vote for him because a lot of his career numbers are very similar to Henrik Lundqvist, but he wasn't a superstar goalie. In a lot of people's minds, he wasn't a Vesna guy or anything like that. But he did win the Stanley Cup twice. So, you know, a lot of people, the Hawk teams were so good. I think the Crawford came on to a team that had already won the cup with that core with a worse goalie than him. And then he went on and won two more. Like, I think that kind of hurts his case a little bit, but like I'm, I'm saying, I think he's a great hall of fame candidate too. he will be on the list for a long time. Um, but you know, that's my kind of take on the hall of fame. Henrik Lundqvist deserved it. I'm not surprised to see Ken Hitchcock make it. He's one of the great coaches who ever lived. Um, the one time I ever laughed at Ken Hitchcock, Zach Parisi scored a shorthanded goal against the Blues in the playoffs, and he, like, shot it from the from the goal line. He really wasn't even trying to score. He was just putting it on net, killing a penalty, and it beat Jake Allen. And Ken Hitchcock was looking at Jake Allen like, you mother... <laughs> like, how did you let that in? And, like, even Parisi was like, really? It went in? And, you know, he's celebrating with a bunch of third pair D and a fourth line forward. Cause like he was one of the only stars who would kill a penalty. And, you know, I always thought that clip was funny. Ken Hitchcock just looking at Jake Allen, like you mother, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Elliot, Elliot came in to that game. If I remember correctly, Brian Elliott came in and relieved Jake Allen. Like he, he couldn't have had a fun time dealing with Hitchcock after, you know, that, but you know, I don't mind the Hall of Fame class. I have my issues with it with Eliash, but, you know, congrats to everybody who made it. Everybody who makes I don't want to. Yeah. And I don't want to take away from anybody who did make it. So, you know, hopefully Eliash gets in one of these years, though. And I want Crawford to get in one of these years. Justin Williams has no chance. I hate to. You don't think sh- so. To poop on your parade. Yeah, no, I'm. I, he he was never a like to me, a Hall of Famer, especially in hockey is someone who was top 3 or 5 at their position for any 5 year 10 year span like Eliash was that he was a top 5 winger in the league like you never really looked at Justin Williams and saw him as a top 5 anything but like Mr Game 7 right you know top
2: 5 and Mr yeah, Game 7 yeah
1: he's probably top 1 <laughs> Mr Game 7 right uh, if we are not including coaches Paul Maurice is undefeated in game sevens, but as a coach, but like, you know, he, he did finally lose that one with Carolina to his old team, Washington, where he picked up a couple of game seven wins. But I mean, you know, he's a multi-time Stanley cup champion. I believe he's a three time Stanley cup champion. He, he Justin is. Williams. Did you say that he's got two with the Kings and then one with the hurricanes, right? So exactly. like, he's yeah. a great player. I'm not poo pooing Justin Williams, but you know, if, if not Patrick Elias, yeah, almost eight hundred points. Eliash has over a thousand, and he was a far better regular season player and postseason player than. Yeah, but he's got almost
2: eight hundred points, three cups, two world championships.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the those those team awards get they're like a tiebreaker for you. Mm-hmm. Like there are other two-time Stanley, like Andrew Shaw has two Stanley Cups, and you know guy, but he's probably got like 600 points. Like Justin Williams, if he has a hundred more points than Andrew Shaw, but he's got the two cups. Like, yeah, he was a great player. He was a great player, but he's, he's not going to be a hall of famer. Um, but I digress. This class was fun. Um, Frank, yo boys, the Vegas golden Knights, they had a parade. I I don't know if I'm going to call it like a, le- like, is it a legendary parade slash rally? It might be. It was crazy. And, you know, it looked like a lot of people were there. There was pe- people always post, like, they'll take one street that looks like it's light on people and they'll be like, this is the Vegas golden nights party. But then like you look at the rally and you see how many people were actually there in yeah. Las Vegas celebrating yeah. this thing. It It looked pretty, pretty rad. I, I don't know if I would put it right there with, the way Washington celebrated in 2018, that to me is the greatest championship parade in any sport ever. Um, the Bucks came close, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when Tom Brady almost broke the trophy. But um, <laughs> that was also his seventh, and he finally let himself get drunk for the first time in his life. But um, I really enjoyed watching the Vegas parade, and man, Wild Bill, the the speech yeah, really. Wild Bill gave. He was absolutely destroyed. It's like, this is a premier athlete. This is a premier athlete. I don't know. Well, Wild Bill's not a star on hockey prospecting, but he's a star in my brain because of how good he is defensively.
2: It it was his speech was just so natural.
1: And yeah,
2: it it gave you everything you wanted. And who was that? The girl trying
1: to get him off. I was gonna ask you, I think
2: that was his significant other. I don't know if girlfriend wife probably it's so like he, you don't say anything stupid or you regret the next day yeah. or you get in trouble like wild bill's canceled tomorrow or like yeah yeah <laughs>
1: like, like what um, is he going to say
2: <laughs> yeah it's like all right all right we got to stop this before it gets yeah I mean, it had everything we talked about the first ever night uh, golden knights game against the Arizona coyotes he's like yeah I might not be good but I was good in year 1 like it was just hilarious like the stuff he was saying it was just absolutely – it just felt nat- natural, felt authentic, and, and I put a smile to my face when I saw it. Everybody else was enjoying it. Marsh was laughing out of his mind. I mean, they're all shirtless. Riley Smith's uh, shirtless. Marsh is uh, shirtless. I mean, they're just all having a good time. They're all probably drunk as well. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great.
1: Bes- besides Wild Bill. Um, was there any other clips from the parade that you want to talk about or get into?
2: Um, there was something, well, first of all, I just want to say Mark stone, raising the uh, cup on stage and the crown chanting his name. That just felt like a real special moment in the parade that day. Um, I mean, if you think about it, some of the best moments from when the Blackhawks parades came around was like when the players were on stage giving speeches, it's like your captains on stage your first ever franchise uh, Stanley cup in history. And it's just something about the crowd chanting his name. It, was, it seemed like a special moment, but there was something earlier during the rally um, when they were cruising down some, I, I assume it was down the strip and somebody asked Derek angle on a question. And I, I rewound the clip multiple times. I don't know his response, but it was something along the lines because then the guy who was asking questions was like, it's right. Take your time. And he's like, all right, all right. And he pops open champagne and he's spraying the crowd and they're all laughing. But I don't know. That was pretty funny too. I wish I knew exactly what they said, but it, it just the whole interaction was hilarious.
1: That is funny. That is really funny. Well, the Stanley cup champion Vegas golden Knights certainly had a party that was so fun to watch. Um, did Your hat show up yet?
2: No, it was shipped yesterday.
1: Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, Frank, since our last show, our guy, my guy, Matt, it's my Bat, signed guy. a, your guy,
2: give me a He break. is my guy. I've been talking nothing but good stuff about him the whole year. I yeah, always use I the glue that talk. holds everything together. Yeah, he's
1: the devil's fifth best player. That's all right. And he's the glue, though. Yeah, no, 100%. I don't disagree and I'm so happy that because of this um he signed a 7.8 something million dollar contract to stay with the Devils for the next 8 years. He was a restricted free agent. He kind of said to Bratt's camp, "Hey, if you don't, you don't sign a deal with us soon, I'm trading you." And Brat was like, "Well, I don't want to leave this team. That's super sick and you know, has a chance to win multiple cups in the next 10 years. I want to be here." And so they got it done. Um, we say a million per 10 points right there, perfect. Perfect. right there. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to get overpaid because I do believe Brat can be like a 90 point guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so people were thinking he was going to get eight, nine because of that potential and, you know, pay him for what you think he's going to do. Well, they paid him for what he's done. And if Mm -hmm. he does become that 90 point guy, well, now he's one of the best bargains in the NHL if he's not already. And the devils have. Heesher, Hughes, and Brat all signed for the next, you know, five or more years each. And they're all making less, eight or less. And, you know, other stars, McDavid is making 12. Drysaddle, uh, Dry Dreisaitl, a deal. He's at 8.5. Um, but, you know, other stars around the league are over 10. All three of these guys will probably get to points where they're worth 10. And they got this with the Devils. Um now they can fill out their depth a lot easier than some of the other elite teams across the league. Um, I love this deal for Brat. I love this deal for the team. He's rich. They have a team-friendly deal. Um, Luke Hughes and Nemich will be on team-friendly deals. You'd hope they try to win the Cup during the duration of those team-friendly entry-level deals when they're not even making a million bucks yet. But we'll see what happens. I love the Brat contract.
2: I I love this deal. I mean, I still believe he is going to hold this core team together. Is he a Heesher? No. Is he a Hughes? No. But he doesn't have to be because he's Jesper freaking Brett. And Tom Fitzgerald, he's thrilled to have Brett back. He recognizes that he's a key core player on this team and who, whose goal is to win the Stanley Cup and bring it to New Jersey, and that's what he's going to do. Nailed it on the head with the 10 points per million. i um, I'm And that's something we came up with. That's like we didn't read that anywhere. We came up with the philosophy, 1 million per 10 points. And I stand by that obviously within reason but um great deal it's a it's a great move for the devils and it could be a steal too along the way if he has a 90 point season here or there a couple of them in the next eight years then it's a big bargain so good move by the devils and it's good to see him back with new jersey
1: brats just also great in all three ends of the ice too so it's not all about offense for him he scored 32 goals this season i think 73 points 73 points in back-to-back years I might bet a exact point total for him next year to hit 73 on the dot again. Three years in a row. Let's do it, Jasper. No, we want more than that. And one thing I've noticed Jack Hughes, um, uh, Jack Hughes had like 25 even strength goals last year, which means his power play numbers are low for a player that good. If the Devils' power play at any point, starts clicking in like a top 10 top 5%. We're talking about 100 points for Hughes and Heisher and 120 points for Hughes mm-hmm. or Bratton Heisher I mean and then 120 points for Hughes. I'm being like an extra 20 points on the power Imagine that. Imagine each each of those three picking up an extra and with Timo Meyer now for a full season and he'll be comfortable, he'll have a training camp. He's got one year left on his deal. They're trying to crank out and or no, he's an, is he an RFA? He might have one – he has RFA, but he's arbitration eligible. So he has one-year minimum with the Devils. But I think they're cranking out an eight-year deal as we speak. I could see it being announced before our next show. He'll probably get 8.5, right, or 8, you know, mm-hmm. which is a slight overpay. But you got to do that to keep Meyer. I'm all for having you, – you got those three guys all signed for significantly less. If you throw Meyer a million more to have this core together, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And – you know, with a productive power play, this team could really see these guys reach new heights in terms of point Absolutely. totals, and that includes Brett. Um, gotta get the goalie. Gotta, gotta get, get the, goalie. the goalie. And you know, Byron mentioned
2: a Hellebuck potentially. I mean, Hellebuck said I
1: want to play for the devils. There you go. Gotta That's make it happen. Insane. I I wouldn't give him nine and a half.
2: You wouldn't what? I don't know. I wouldn't
1: said. give him I wouldn't give him nine and a half for eight years. No. He's no, thirty. No. Yeah, He's eight, thirty.
2: Eight
1: I, do, I can't do it. Six and a half for eight years. Yeah, tomorrow I drive him to New Jersey from Winnipeg. I would I think drive to Winnipeg half, from like, Chicago. I think six yeah. and a half is like the max, in my opinion. I don't. Yeah, think. but he's worth. He's worth. Not. He's worth nine and a half for three. I would do that. I would absolutely do that. Then when that contract's over, Akira Schmid's only like twenty-four.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Like you know. It's, yeah, and that's when goalies tend to start to hit their peak more or less. So, I, I would trade for him. I wouldn't extend him for too long unless it's a long deal, but less money. The Devils can win the cup if they like. Hellebuck's a Vesna candidate nominee, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's not going to win it, but isn't it? Isn't it all Mark Sorokin and Hellebuck? I think you're right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's all Mark Sorokin and Hellebuck, which we're going to go through and pick because the NHL awards will be. Our next show, um, or they'll be over by our next show um so we'll get to that, but i I think the world of what the devils are doing, and I'm happy they got brat mm-hmm. signed long term Frank, the Philadelphia Flyers released some new sweaters. Mm-hmm. What's your take?
2: I think they're gorgeous to be honest with you, I really, really love them. Burnt orange making its long-awaited return to the Flyers jersey. And if there's anybody out there that cares, IBX will be the Flyers jersey sponsor this year. Um, But there's just something about them. The home jerseys have the perfect amount of orange and white. I love that the main front of the jersey is orange and the sleeves are white. And the roads are just inverted from the home jerseys. And the the numbers on the road jersey sleeves are white with orange sleeves. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's inverted, so orange sleeves, white front. Um, numbers on the back are orange. I don't know. They, they really look nice. I would consider getting one if I was going to get a Flyers jersey. I, I like them that much. I think it really looks great.
1: Yeah, well, I think they're great as well. I There's not a lot of difference. Sometimes it seems like the Flyers always release these jerseys and proclaim them as, like, these brand-new things, but really they're just, like, slightly modified versions of their old ones. But I actually really think these ones are sharp, and I do agree on the burnt orange. I think the burnt orange is nice. They're going to look like hot Cheetos out there. It's yeah. going to look delicious. Um, so I'm all for what the Flyers have done with their new sweaters. They're With Danny Briere and Keith Jones and all of the things that are going on with the Flyers right now, it seems like – you know they're a team moving in a completely new direction, and they'll they'll be in Max Celebrini sweepstakes next year. If they all of a sudden in 2025 have Mitchkov and Celebrini, you know entering their prime, the Flyers are going to be very good. I'm worried about the Flyers long term, so I I really do like what they're doing. They're going to look good while doing it. Frank, a Absolutely. trade candidate that just recently came out is mr alex to he doesn't seem to want to re-sign in ottawa which i don't really know why i would want to re-sign in ottawa i know it's probably not the best you know they were just sold it's ottawa it's canada it's whatever i would want to stay there for hockey purposes but he doesn't seem to want to what's your take
2: it's going to be a hot commodity over this next week um you know he said he's not willing to sign a long-term extension with the ottawa senators that means Ottawa's most likely going to want to move him before the draft next week so they could potentially have extra pick and picks in this year's draft. Does he possibly go to a team like the Hurricanes, who could use a little more depth on their team? I mean, I didn't realize this, but they haven't had a top 10 score in the NHL in over 10 years, which is just insane. Does he want to go to a team that could use a little more depth there? Does he want to go to a team like the Red Wings? He grew up a Michigan native and a Red Wings fan. I mean, I'm sure they would have be a great fit for him. Or maybe even a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins to try and win one final uh, cup with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. I mean, Kyle Dubas made it clear he intends to keep uh, their contention window open as long as the main uh, core players are there. So, I mean, there's a lot of available teams for him to go to. It's just who's going to be willing to give up something in this year's draft because I, I know for a fact they're going to want to get it done by next Wednesday.
1: I completely agree. And he was traded during draft week last year. Um, I'm going to be writing my articles and stuff about, you know, him getting traded to the Blackhawks and stuff. Cause that would be fun. If he made a return, you wouldn't have to give up what you got in order to get him. He's certainly not going to be as expensive as he was with his, you know, new trade, but I, I agree with you on Detroit. I have another, I have another team. I can see the Dallas stars going for Alex to He fits what they're doing in so many ways and they're going to lose some money this off season. Like they're just going to be able to make, and they have assets to make a trade like that happen. Um, Dallas is they're pushing their luck on winning the cup with what they got because their depth players are all former stars, like not Dallas stars, like superstars. Um Joe Pavelski, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn. those are all guys who used to carry teams, and now they're their depth players, and that is a nice recipe. I do think that that's like a good thing. and if they can bring in Alex to bring to play with Jason Robinson and Rupe Hintz, that could be a team that is awesome and they're they're gonna be one of the teams I think pushing hard for Alex to awesome. bring sure. So we'll see where he goes. Frank, we got a couple contracts to touch on here. Uh, Monahan stays with the Habs, 1.9 million. He's pretty much stunk for the last three years.
2: Yeah, after the 2019-2020 season, his production really took a turn for the worst. But you know, this one-year contract for 1.9 million dollars with the Habs, I think this is a great opportunity to earn a larger contract after this one-year deal is up. I mean, he's only 28 years old, and if he's capable of putting together a nice three to five-year deal after this, if he could prove to what to get back to the top production we saw before 2019. I mean, I think this is a great opportunity for him, and this is also a great move by the the uh, Montreal Canadiens. They're paying him less than two million dollars for a guy that they will probably flip at the trade deadline. So you know, you're banking on this him, let you know, try to get maybe fifty points at best which is a stretch given the way he's played lately. But, you know, he's been injured and never know. Flip him at the trade deadline, see what you can get from him, and then next year's draft. I mean, I think this is a big win for the Montreal Canadiens, in all honesty.
1: I do too. Um, We'll see. Uh, Part of me thinks like he could have a resurgence of sorts at some point, but we'll see if that ever ends up happening. Um, I don't know. The Habs are going to stink again, but they're not going to be like, as bad they're 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 progressing. I like what the Habs are doing. He's going to be um, trade
2: bait at the end of the during the trade deadline. I guarantee.
1: You. Yeah, if anybody wants him, he'll be easier to trade at the one point nine. So you know, mm-hmm. as you know, completely different from his last contract. But um, Zemkis Gergensen stays with the Sabres one year, two and a half mil. I like this deal even more because. Jurgensen's, he's making a mill more than Monahan, but he he produces almost no offense. He never really has, but he's a stout defensive bottom six forward that you would want to have in your bottom six in most situations.
2: He's also the longest-serving active player on the team. This is going to be his 10th season with the Sabres, um, and like you said, he's one of the team's top defensive forward. He's a trusted penalty killer. He's a leader in the locker room, and the past two seasons, he served he's served as the team's alternate captain. So bringing Gergensen's back on a one-year deal to a young up-and-coming team is great. It's great to have a guy like this on the team. And the players obviously love having him around. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that if he hit the open market, there'd be teams inquiring about him. So, I mean, he's just one of those guys you want to have on the team.
1: Absolutely. Um, he kind of paved the way for John Scott to make the All-Star game too.
2: Yeah. No, I remember
1: people often <laughs> People often forget that. Buffalo and the entire country of Latvia – joined forces to get Gergensen's to the all-star game um, that one year. And that kind of made people realize, Hey, we can do this. We could get John Scott in the all-star game. And they did. So that kind of was the start of it all. You could thank Zemgis Gergensen's for that. Like um, we already touched on the hockey hall of fame on Monday in Nashville will be the NHL awards. I always yeah. love watching the NHL awards. It's super fun to see who wins what. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there are some big things that I'll be cheering for in that day. Um, we'll run through quickly each award and who you think is going to win it. Okay. So we will start with the Norris trophy. Who does Frank Mueller think is going to win the Norris trophy?
2: It's going to be Eric Carlson. Sixth ever D man to notch a hundred points. I mean, this just seems like a slam dunk.
1: For sure. I, you know, I completely agree. Um, I was a little surprised to see Kale McCarr nominated. I didn't think he had like a Norris, season. But I mean, obviously he did. I mean, I'm not going to really argue with it. He's freaking McCarr. He's Bobby Orr reincarnated. I know some older folks probably don't want to hear that. There's got to be three
2: nominees. So Yeah. Uh,
1: You know, I think McAvoy is deserving. I think Rasmus Dahlin is deserving. There are lots of there's great defensemen in the NHL today. But I think even though he wasn't all that good defensively, I think the the history behind the 100 points has to work in Eric Carlson's favor on this yep, 100%. one.
2: 100%. I mean, look at Roman Yossi last year. He almost got to the 100 points. Yeah, he, he, he didn't win it. He didn't win it. He didn't win it. But if he would have got to the 100, it might have been a different story because I do still think he potentially got robbed there. That was I, I would have
1: voted for Yossi last year, personally. Yeah,
2: so would I have as well. And, I mean, if he would have got 100 points, probably would have made a difference. And I think that's going to play into the favor of of Eric Carlson.
1: Yes, and more than any more than any award in NHL history, I think the Norris Trophy has become like a lifetime achievement award. Kale McCarr and Adam Fox both won it young, but we saw Drew Doughty win it in a year where he probably, like, he should have won it in multiple years prior. Like, it, that happens sometimes. Same thing with Giordano. Um, but, you know, I know Carlson has two already. He hasn't won one in a while, and this feels like a lifetime achievement plus getting to the 100-point mark and kind of revitalizing his career, he will be the winner of the Norris Trophy. Who do you think is going to win the Vezina Trophy?
2: Vezina also seems like a pretty slam dunk. I think it's going to be Lena Sallmark. 189 goals against average, 938 save percentage, 40 wins on a historic Bruins team. It just seems like that is the route that it's going to go.
1: We agree. We're two for two. I think Linus Allmark's a lock. I think Sorokin had an outstanding year, and so did Hellebuck. Uh, I think the two best goalies in the NHL are Vasilevsky and Chesterkin. But this year, based on the way Allmark played and the team he was on and how he helped them, I mean, he took the starting job from Swayman, a younger, more likely piece to be the starting goalie in the year. And listen, he was hurt in the playoffs. And I think um, Jim Montgomery had probably the worst coaching performance of any team in the playoffs by not leaving Allmark in there injured after game five was just a travesty. Swayman would have won one of those three games. And, you know, I couldn't believe that um, they did that. But Allmark, it's a regular season award. He will be the winner of the Vezina trophy. Frank, who do you think is going to win the Selkie trophy?
2: This is tough. You know, it's between Bergeron and Nico for me. Um, And I want to go Nico just because it's, I mean – bergeron really gonna win it for six times i mean nobody's ever won it five except for him Is somebody is he really gonna win it a sixth time i mean he very well could i mean the way the bruins played and the way he played during the regular season i mean it really their historic season really could play in the the factoring of him winning another selkie so i'm gonna go with patrice bergeron
1: that's fair um i think bergeron has a very good chance to win it i think marner it it's been a while since a wingers won it. And Marner's very good defensively. He's nominated for this thing for a reason. He's Patrick Eliash. He's Hosa, He's Stone. He's he's a winger who's outstanding defensively and puts up a crap ton of points. Um, but I, I don't see them giving it to the winger. I think face-ups and being the 200-foot player will play to yes. the advantage of Heesher and Bergeron. But um, I'm going to pick Heesher. Why not? I mean, Bergeron could absolutely win. I'm gonna, I'll am i let my bias be the tiebreaker. Um, Heesher had 80 points. Which was second out of the three. Marner had more, the most out of all three of them, but you know, points aren't everything. There's defensive styles. There's the fact that Heesher's playing against Crosby, and you know, mm-hmm. whoever's the other team's top center. He's playing against Braden Point and Stamkos and Matthews and Tavares. Uh, you know, when they're running through the Eastern Conference, he had Zabanajad in the playoffs at home, and then you know, he had to try and shut other things down when they were on the road in the playoffs. That's always his job, um, to playing the two hundred foot game. And you know the same thing goes for Bergeron. He's got you know Tavares and Point and you know the other Barkov, the other top centers in the league that they play against in the regular season and in the playoffs. But you know I, I hope Heesher sure wins it this year. It's time to get some fresh blood. Let's start getting Heesher on track to break Bergeron's record for the most Malkys because I do think he'll be in the mix for a large portion of the next you know five or six years.
2: Mm-hmm. For
1: sure, Frank. Who do you think is going to win? The, what's the one where it's voted by the players? Oh, uh, the the, uh, the Ted uh, Lindsay. Yeah,
2: yeah. Do
1: we just think the Ted Lindsay and the Hart Trophy are both going to be swept by one player? Yep,
2: and the Art okay. Ross. Let's
1: just well, the Art Ross is already concluded,
2: and the Rocket Richard.
1: Yeah, that, well, that's already <laughs> concluded. So we both agree. That Mr. McDusty number ninety seven Connor McDavid's gonna take home the Hart trophy and yeah. the um Selkie trophy or not Selkie trophy. I think he He's could win a Selkie trophy trophies. if he wanted to, though. Huh? Four trophies.
2: He's gonna have four trophies
1: this year. Yes. Um we agree on that. There's really not much to talk about. Connor McDavid had one of the best offensive seasons in modern NHL history. Um, you know, the Oilers were sick and it was largely because of him. He scored a crap ton of goals. He reached the 60 goal mark. Um I think the bigger debate is who comes in second for the Hart Trophy between Pasternak and Kachuk.
2: It might be Kachuk. Just because I think
1: it's gonna be Kachuk.
2: I think it's gonna be Kachuk too, because you know, I think if you took Kachuk off the team, the Florida Panthers probably wouldn't even have made the playoffs. If you take Pasternak off the team, Bruins would have been okay. Bruins would have had a pretty good year. I think that matters the- if you think about it like that.
1: It's true, and the Bruins have a nominee for the Vesna Trophy, the Sucky Trophy, and you can argue they have a snub on the Norris Trophy.
2: Exactly. So I think it's going to be Kachuk for number two. I,
1: I do too, and we'll find out all these statistics. Um, yeah. Who do you think is going to be the coach of the year? Coach of the year is going to be Jim Montgomery.
2: I hate to say it, I but it's like Lindy Ruff right there. Right there, because it was the most, the biggest turnaround from last to – but I don't know. It, it's really close. It's really close because, like, I, th- a lot of these ro- awards with the Bruins, I'm going because it was historic, something that's never happened before, right? That's the, the only reason I give the slightest lead to Jim Montgomery. But Lindy Ruff is right there. And Dave Hextall for the Kraken, I mean, he, it's great that they made it in the second year. I don't think he has a chance in hell to win it, to be honest with you but it's going to be very close. I would not be surprised if Lindy Ruff won it, but I think it might be Jim Montgomery.
1: I think they got the three nominees very right. Mm -hmm. The Devils had the biggest turnaround in NHL history from point total from one season to the next Montgomery's team broke the NHL record for wins in a season and points in a season and pretty much everything in a season Um, without, you know, uh, they, they have a lot of stars on the team, but they played a true team game. Um and then the Kraken second year Dave Haxtell I think he is deserving of the nominee
2: I might switch it to Lindy Ruff Wow see
1: there are years where there are years where it goes to that guy who Hey we thought you were gonna suck but you were actually really good so here's Coach of the Year Um there are also years where teams break historical records and that coach wins at John Cooper in Tampa, yeah. um, Barry Trotz in Washington. They won it in a year where they were just so significantly better than everybody else in the regular season. They choked in the playoffs to the penguins, but then they won the cup the following year. But um, yeah, I, I honestly, this is one where I like am the hardest on. That's I think like I point. I'm going Montgomery. I think you Montgomery, think, is right? Be. Yeah. 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 I hope Lindy Ruff wins it, because Devils, but I, I, I think this one's going to so end up being close. It's I so. know. It is close. It is really close. And then last but not least is the Lady Bing Trophy. This could go a multitude of different ways.
2: I think Jack Hughes got a locked up.
1: Okay, I'm going to pick Jack Hughes, too.
2: I don't think there is a multitude of ways. I think it's like not even close. I looked at the nominees, did my research. It's not even close.
1: Uh, who are the other two nominees again? Because I knew I can't. Yeah, point.
2: Uh, I can't think of the other one.
1: Yeah, I just knew I was going to pick Jack Hughes. Because I know Jack the other.
2: Good. The other one had less penalty minutes than Jack Hughes, but not nearly as much production. I mean, you're almost a hundred point score with six penalty minutes. It's not yeah. even close. BP. Yeah,
1: I agree. No, I I completely agree. And he roughed it up in the playoffs. But luckily, the votes are already in for the lady Bing before the playoffs start. He tried to fight a couple people in the – he tried to fight Ajo. He lost a tooth. He was mucking it up in the playoffs with the Rangers. But that don't count in the postseason. That's almost what you need in the postseason. But in yeah. the regular season, Jack Hughes was very gentlemanly-like.
2: What about the Calder? You weren't going to mention the Calder? Oh,
1: yeah. I, that is the one I forgot, the Calder Trophy. Who is going to win the Calder Trophy?
2: I called it when we were doing our predictions 25 podcasts ago. Matty Beniers led all rookies in points and helped lead his team to the postseason. I think, hands down, Matty Beniers.
1: Yep. I would go Beniers as well. I think he's going to win it. Um, He was outstanding. He kind of proved. There were some questions whether or not he could be a number one center when he was taken second overall by the Kraken. Owen Power was always going to be the first pick, but like, you know, people question the crack and leaving Mason McTavish and Luke Hughes and Kent Johnson on the board while well, they went with Ben Years. Uh, I would say all five of those teams are happy with the guy they got. Um, so, and Ben years is one of them. He is well deserving of the Calder Trophy. Yep. Yeah. He will win it. You know, next year's Calder Trophy is going to piss me off almost the whole season (laughs) because everybody's going to come into the season thinking Bedard and Fantilli are the only two that have a freaking chance to win it. But what people fail to realize every single time is that the 18-year-olds coming into the league almost never win it because there there are rookies that are three years older than them that just make them look stupid. So give Luke Hughes respect going into next season when you're making your Calder Trophy predictions, you peasants.
2: I don't know, if, but if Bedard really pans out the way he should, he might. He's have to gonna
1: get, pan out the way he, he should.
2: He might have Explore a really a good Yeah, but he might have a
1: really good rookie year. No, I listen. I, I'm well aware. If next year's if next year's nominees are Hughes, Fantillion, and Bedard, I think hockey wins in <laughs> in general. Like hockey is the real winner there, <laughs> because that means we got to watch them all be freaking sweet for 82 games. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Frank. That's our second period. Um, great, great stuff. The hockey world is on fire right now. Next week, things will really be burning up because we will have the 2023 NHL draft one week from today, folks. Connor Mm. Bedard will become a Chicago Blackhawk and Adam Fantilli will become an Anaheim Duck. And then from there, we don't know, which is just so, so, so fun. Can't wait for next week. Next Wednesday is going to be radical. Um... I'm pumped. I'm very, very pumped. This is good stuff.
2: Oh, you have no idea. I can't
1: wait. Absolutely. Well, Frank, we'll let you get out your I can't wait noises in period number three. Welcome to period three. Frank, it's been a while since we've done this. And I know while we were on vacation, there was a bit of news that broke in this world. Um, There was a whole festival, kind of the new E3 yeah, we'll we'll call it forever. E3's done, but this is the new version of it. Um, Frank, it's Frankie's video game corner. Get into it. I
2: mean, there's a lot, so I'm not gonna dive into each thing in depth. I'm just gonna start rattling a bunch of things. For so for Summer Games Fest, something big announcements that were made. Spider-Man 2 got an October 20th uh, release date this year. Mortal Kombat 1 got a gameplay trailer, Fortnite revealed the Transformers crossover event, which is really cool if you're into that stuff. Uh, Lord, there's a Lord of the Rings game coming out this fall. Uh, there's also a game that was announced called Pal World, which is basically Pokemon but with guns. Um, Star Trek Infinite was announced, which we don't have a lot of Star Trek video games out there. Um, so that was like the main summer games for us takeaway that I kind of took in. I mean, right now Diablo 4 has been the main game everybody's been playing. Final Fantasy 16 comes out tomorrow. I mean, we're in the the mid of prime summer video gaming right now. Uh, There was a Nintendo Direct that happened today. And let me tell you, I knew it would be big. I wrote about it. I said, we're probably going to get stuff on Pikmin 4. I mean, we're probably going to get DLC for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet a little bit, you know, in-depth look at that. But they hit us with some pretty big announcements. I have it pulled up. I mean, let's see. Hold on. Give me one second. So, yeah, we did, get the, we did get our first deep dive into Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, the expansions that are coming out. On top of that, Detective Pikachu video game coming out in October. But then maybe some of the most exciting news, if you're a Super Nintendo fan, Super Mario RPG is getting remade, which is just unbelievable. That's one of the greatest Super Nintendo games of all time. And now it's getting remade for the Nintendo Switch. That's going to be huge when it comes out. We did get Pikmin 4 uh, gameplay because that's, that comes out in July. So that was exciting. There's WarioWare, a new WarioWare coming out again. Not only that, but a new Super Mario Bros. is coming out. A 2D Super Mario Bros. called Super Mario Bros. Wonder. I mean, we're just getting bombshells in the middle of summer for Super Mario games, like two new Mario games coming up. I mean, what the hell is going on? I mean, this was a huge broadcast that happened. Um, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon's getting ported to the Nintendo Switch next year. I mean, there's just so much. I mean, literally there's so much that got announced today and it's it's so amazing. There's a uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom uh, new Amiibo, Zelda and Ganon Amiibo, coming out during the holiday season this year. I mean, in a 40-minute show, they just dropped bombshells. I mean, this is probably the most video game news we've had over the summer because normally the summer's kind of the lull, right? You have the beginning of the year, January through March, hit you with big games. Last year they hit us with Elden Ring. This year they hit us with um, Hogwarts Legacy and Tears of the Kingdom that came out earlier this year. And then all of a sudden, during the summer now, we're getting bombshells, and that's usually towards holiday season we get those games. It right? gets ready for the holidays and great money makers for the holidays. I mean, there's been a ton going on, and it's it's incredible. I love it. This has been great. I'm really excited for these new Mario games that are coming out.
1: That's outstanding. I literally can't wait. The Mario game, what did you say it was called? It's so their Super Mario Bros. Wonder. It's 2D. Wonder. That's it's the one I was, yeah.
2: 2D, which is any Super Mario game I'm in.
1: Yeah, same. I love
2: Mario, and then they're recreating Super Mario RPG, which is one of the greatest like Mario games of all time. Definitely one of the greatest for this SNES. Um, so that's going to be really, really cool because they don't really remake Mario games that much. They remake other games. They'll remake your favorite whatever, but remaking an iconic Mario game in the franchise is just just—it's—it's it's actually really cool.
1: Yeah, that is really cool. Um, I'm excited to play them. I'm excited. A- you know, I, I like. I can't wait for those amiibo. Um, yeah, Zelda's, Zelda's going strong, and it's obviously, um, you know, it's impacted by having the amiibo. Uh, Skylar wants to know if we saw the Mario movie. Frank and I actually just watched it together yep,
2: the for the first movie. time ever.
1: Uh, Frankie fell asleep for most of it, so I don't even know how much he retains. He's got to rewatch it.
2: I got to rewatch it for sure. I mean, I remember like most of it,
1: but it uh, wasn't for a lack of the movie being sick.
2: I was so tired. I
1: know. <laughs> I know. You know what? I, 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 I could. I forced myself to stay away because I loved it. I actually really liked it.
2: I'm gonna rewatch it.
1: I hope they create a whole universe. There are so they many will. references in the movie that hint at that that's gonna be the case.
2: I mean, the um, ending, that post credit scene.
1: Yeah, exactly. They can make a whole multiverse of this shit.
2: And they will. It's they could wonder- end
1: up in Hyrule. They could end up. They could do the Luigi's Mansion thing. They could hit Donkey Kong Kingdom. Like you know, they, they could do the whole thing. Absolutely. They can do the whole thing, and I hope they do. Um, is that all you got in the Frank Video Game Corner?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, I was just spewing because there's just so much right now. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's that's basically it. For sure, um, Frank. Speaking of movies, I just saw The Flash. Yeah, it how was is? it was good. I went in knowing I never had to care about these characters ever again because they're resetting. The, D- yeah. the the DCEU is going away and we're going to start the DCU with Superman next and James Gunn the director of all the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and whatnot he will be in charge so you, there's high hopes that the DCU will start to compare with the MCU um, i i really hope it does because those characters are cool i like Superman i like Batman um, they they the characters were cool in this movie and it kind of be, even though the movie kind of stunk, um, but like it was, I, I enjoyed the characters. As Skyler points out Michael Keaton was in it playing Batman. He was awesome. I thought it was great, and the character of Batman himself and the character of the Flash himself—they're interesting people. So you know, I hope James Gunn does this thing the right way. Superman with Supergirl and all those sorts of Kryptonian villains and stuff. I I hope they do a good job because I think it could be just as successful as. Um, the MCU. And one thing DC has going for them that Marvel didn't was multiple recognizable characters. Really, the only Marvel character that people knew before the MCU started was Spider-Man. And Spider-Man wasn't even allowed to be in the MCU until the late 2010s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they built Iron Man from scratch. They built Captain America from scratch. They built Thor from scratch. Nobody gave a crap about those characters in 2005. Right? They weren't, you know that's the exact opposite for super or for DC people know Superman people know Batman mm-hmm. so like they they can really do this thing right and I hope they do um, I think they
2: will they're in good hands
1: I like yeah I agree Frank baseball season's fully in swing of things and the Cincinnati Reds have won 11 straight games they just won today um, kind of feel bad for like the Cubs Cubs are hot right now. They've been hot and it doesn't matter because the freaking Reds have won eleven in a row.
2: It's just unbelievable.
1: It's unreal. And the NL Central Division, everybody thinks it's nice and poopy. Well, guess what? Not anymore. Um the Cubs and the Yeah, the Giants have won nine in a row, but we expect the Giants to be good year after year. Like, and that's always nice. Winning nine in a row doesn't ever really happen. So good on them. But man, the Reds have been on fire. And I know I promised a Reds heavy crosstown crosstalk last week. Well, you know, sometimes things don't go according to plan. There's technology issues. There's guest issues. Well, that kind of happened last week, and I did a solo show. I still talked Reds. I talked heavy Reds. But the winning streak wasn't what it is now. I actually think it was a blessing in disguise because tomorrow we're going to have <laughs> two Reds guests. Wow. So we're going to be talking Reds. That's and more than one. That is more than one. That is more than one, and it's going to be a heavy Reds episode. I'm actually going to the White Sox game tonight, too, so we're going to check out the Texas Rangers as well, the first-place Texas Rangers. Um, We'll see how that goes. So lots of Major League Baseball to be watched and to be talked about. What were you going to say? What's going on with Luis Rice? Again, today I think he was two for four. I'm so happy he's not on the Twins anymore. He was either
2: two for four or two for five, which would bring it up regardless. I mean, he's, it was, he got up to batting average of 401 today. Then he dropped to 399. And then I don't remember what happened, but even if he finished what, I mean, he's right there at 400 and I no, he's not going to finish the season at 400, but it's just unbelievable.
1: Yeah. I mean, only one person ever has finished over 400, like and played a full season. It's I'm not talking good. about a rookie who came up, went two for five and then got sent back down or two for four and went, got sent right back down. But like, He'll finish. He'll probably win another batting title for the second year in a row. Um, he went five for five a couple days ago. The White Sox actually shut him down for the most part. He had a hit in every game, but his batting average sunk. And that's the thing with a guy like Luis Arise and what he's doing right now. A hit a game doesn't cut it. You need like multiple hits a game and to like is. keep your average over four hundred. Yeah, and he went five for five a couple days ago to get it back over 400. He'll, he'll rotate all season long. He'll get hot. He'll I don't know if he'll hit finish in the high threes, but he'll finish in the threes enough where he um, probably wins the batting title. Again, I don't love batting average, but for someone like Luis Arise, I do like it because he's a leadoff hitter. That's kind of like his mojo. That's his thing. It doesn't matter if he hits home runs. You know, It matters if he scores runs. And you mm-hmm. score runs by getting on base, he does that. Um love what I'm seeing from him. We'll talk about Louisa Rise tomorrow on Crosstalk Crosstown Crosstalk at two PM. Very much looking forward to that. Make sure you tune in. Have you
2: before you switch topics, have you watched College World Series at all?
1: Yeah, my guys yeah. at L S U. Yeah. Let's go. Going. Big game today. That's gonna to be a good game. Hell yeah.
2: I'm gonna talk
1: go. about that later. Go Tigers. Go, Tigers. I think you're going to talk about it right now in America's favorite podcast segment of the week Breaking Bets. Where's
2: my money, bitch? Make it happen. Canceled.
1: All right. Thank you for watching, everyone.
2: All right. So last week, two for three. Great. Happy about that. Brought our percentage back up to the 50s burger. If I could find the graphic. Yep, there we go. Um, yeah. I. You know, this week I'm going quality over quantity. Instead of three picks, I'm giving two. Two that I really like. All right. So we're going to try and go two for two. I'm going to start off with the MLB. Talk about teams that are hot in the MLB. The Braves are hot right now. They won seven in a row. How do you feel about that, VP? I know you're Let's Braves. Go guy. Braves. You're a Braves, guy. They won seven in a row. They're a hot, one of the hottest teams in the league Best right team now. in the league. If there was a night for their win streak to end, though, it would be tonight with Smith-Shawver <laughs> on the mound against Aaron Nola. Listen, Smith-Shawver's been great. He's pitched really well for the Braves. Um, he's pitched in three games this year, but the lineups he's faced, mm, He pitched against the Rockies. Rockies absolutely stink. Pitched against the Nationals. They're three and thirteen in June. I mean, the the best team he's pitched against is the Diamondbacks, and you know he didn't go that long. He went like two innings or something in that game. So let's see what he could do on the road when he has to face a tough Phillies lineup. When you gotta face Trey Turner. When you gotta uh, face Nick Castellanos. When you gotta face. Uh, Bryce Harper, we're going to see what he could do. I like the Phillies' money line tonight at minus 139. I think they get to the kid tonight, and I think the Braves' win streak ends at seven. I love the Phillies' money line, minus 139. Now, Wake Forest and LSU. Matchup of the night for baseball. Wake Forest, number one, ranked in the country. LSU ranked number five. These teams met last week, and I got the luxury to put it on and you know watch a little bit of the game. LSU had... Wake Forest on the verge of a loss. Wake Forest rallied to win the game three to two. It was so close for LSU, but I think LSU could fix any holes in their game and give Wake Forest their first loss of the College World Series tonight. Uh, LSU money line is plus one ten, I believe. It's double elimination, um, and LSU already lost. Wake Forest has not. I think. Wake Forest has a chance to you know, go pretty deep in the College World Series, which is why they could suffice one loss tonight. Um, but I like the value with LSU. When they, they put them on the brink the other night, I think they, they have what it takes to um, to get it done. LSU Moneyline, plus 110+. Plus. They just beat Tennessee yesterday. I believe it was yesterday, and that was a good game. They, they got a good lineup. I don't care if that number next to their name is five. I think they could do it. LSU Moneyline, plus 110.
1: Very good. Frankie's making everybody money. Here comes the money. I hope LSU wins. That'd be nice. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Um, The last time LSU played a team from the ACC in a championship, things went well for them. Yeah. Things went well for them. Oh, man, football. It's coming. It's coming. The football blogs have been coming in full force, too, with the Jags and the Bears lately. Oh, yeah. So, that's been loads and loads of fun. Um, I can't thank everybody enough for watching. This has been a great show. I really enjoyed Byron Bader. Oh, it yeah. was incredible. He's
2: fantastic. It was
1: incredible. So, I, you know, getting down and dirty with the, the stats and whatnot, it's been cool. So we'll be keeping, keeping stuff like that going all summer long. Hockey doesn't go away on bar Bardown. Um, we keep it going. Um, I can't thank everybody enough for watching at home. Uh, make sure you tune in tomorrow to Crosstown Crosstalk at 2 p.m. Read my stuff at Fansided, the five sites that I am uh, writing for, two of them as a contributor, two, three of them as a site expert, and then Frankie's a contributor to um, AppTrigger.com where he's going over all those video games he just got done talking about at length. Um, hell yeah, Frank. Good stuff. Draft Good stuff. next week. Huge show next week can't
2: wait for that it's gonna be great um i'm gonna be overly excited uh next wednesday and but before we get to next wednesday i will be also tuning in to secret invasion marvel's new show that kicked off today i can't wait to watch it so yeah thought i would just add that in there for people
1: absolutely definitely. very very good gotta watch that as well um Yeah, make sure you tune in tomorrow to Crosstown Crosstalk. I'll be going all over the baseball things we just talked about at great length. Two Reds guests looking forward to it. Um, Be at the game tonight. If you're there, come say hello. If you see me, buy me a beer. Um, Yeah, that's it. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. It has been a great thing to talk about hockey as much as we have, and we ain't going nowhere, folks. Frank, is there anything you want to say before we close it out? You heard it from the man himself. As always, thank you to everybody. We enjoy you very much. We will see you next week for our draft extravaganza. As always, thank you for listening.